The Phoenix Suns badly needed a win, and on Thursday night, they got one at home over the Orlando Magic. On today's episode of Locked on Suns, I'll tell you what happened in this game, why it was such a big get-right game, and where the Suns go next heading into the weekend. Let's go. You are Locked on Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen. To close out the week, a win is a nice way to end what has been a very busy week for the Suns, four games in eight days. So thank you for finding us. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there, including YouTube. If you are on YouTube, drop a comment down below with your thoughts on this game. If you're everywhere else, give us a nice rating and review. You can also follow along at Locked On PHX Suns, where we have fun on game nights, catch the newest episodes, maybe some fun retweets as well. Today's show, guys, Brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on today. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, we're going to go to the end of the game first. Then we're going to go to the other moment of tonight's game to get through the, the really defining stretches of what was a Fun game, back and forth, very close, and then I'll give you my big takeaway. We'll get into why this was such an important win. All right, sound good? Sound good. Okay, so um, second quarter, 10 minutes is going to be our other moment of the game. But again, going all the way to the end, the block uh, uh, by Josh Okogie on Paolo Bancaro was a big one. But I would also say that uh, just the Suns' late game wherewithal in general was pretty good. Um, so they're up in the last stretch of the game. Chris Paul makes a couple of jumpers. Wendell Carter gets a three. Markel Fultz gets to the free throw line after a couple of Suns turnovers, although it was just sort of one of those plays that gets passed around online a lot of the times where it's like, oh, basketball is beautiful, LOL, and it's just guys throwing the ball around. Finally, Markel Fultz is able to get to the line, as I said, makes both. The Suns go up only one point. They put in their all-offense lineup so that they can get to the free-throw line properly. The Magic do foul twice. Terrence Ross makes both free throws. The Suns are up three. They're able to uh, foul at the times when they wanted to, and then the game plan was to foul... Um, Paolo Bancaro at the very end of the game, but he gets the ball clean with a shot attempt kind of in sight. He launches one, and Josh Okoge blocks it. And so there's a few things within that, right? I think one, first and foremost, as I said, the wherewithal, the late game execution, this was very much a game where if the Suns allowed a little bit of a more experienced team to come back on them the way that they allowed the Magic to come back on them, the Suns were up 12 at one point, I believe, uh, late in the third, early in the fourth. Um, so obviously Orlando even getting to that point was big, but the Suns just so, sort of out-executed. You know, Chris Paul loves to say 
you know, he watches so much basketball all the time. He's just lived and breathed it for so long that he feels comfortable in those moments. You know, you think back to when he called out that Dallas only had uh, four guys on the court, right? Just little moments like that. And then it, it turns into the difference in a lot of these games. This was an example of that. Obviously, the other big component of ha- of what happened at the very end is that Josh Okoge is a monster. It is an athletic freak and is very, very, very valuable to this team. He's going to actually factor in to that second quarter stretch that I'm about to dive into. But in this particular instance, it was just sheer force of will and sheer force of athleticism. A 6'4 guard, basically, which is what a Kogi is, even if he does a lot of things like a forward or a big man, just jumping, meeting the ball at the top of the release of a 6'10 scoring forward in Paolo Bancaro. Yes, a rookie, but somebody who is already averaging about 20 a game from the jump and is likely to be the rookie of the year. A Kogi just grabbed his shot. It's something he's done throughout the season, so maybe you know you could say it didn't surprise you or it it didn't really, um, it wasn't unexpected. But just anybody being able to do that, considering the stakes of that moment and the size differential, it's pretty impressive. He finishes the night with three steals and three blocks. But let's get to the second quarter. All right. So really, uh, I wanted to do the end of it, but kind of was a a whole run from about the 10-minute mark on, nine-and-a-half-minute mark on. The Suns go down five points early in the fourth quarter, or early in the second quarter, okay? Then Campaign really takes the game over. He scores or assists. um, Well, we'll get to that in a second. His interior passing, his drive-and-kick game or his drive-and-dump game were incredible in this one. I, I don't remember exactly how many assists he finished with, five and just one turnover. And I think this second quarter was really a showcase for a lot of that. He gets two quick buckets, assists on two quick buckets, right when the Magic take that five-point lead, and that lead is now gone. All right? Then, a few minutes later, you get some vintage moments. Uh, Just classic Suns moments where Okogi once, or I'm sorry, Payne once again scores or assists on, I believe, seven straight points. He has a a nice one on uh, a nice assist later in this quarter, about the the midway point this time, to uh, the left corner on a Tory Craig three, which was a a moment that Monty Williams pointed out. He has a dump off to Jock that I mentioned, and he has a, a driving layup of his own, where just that confidence starts to come out. Yes, he can make the pull-up three. Yes, he can kind of get those shots um, when he wants them. When he wants them to, like it just feels like he he has his bag. He has what we know is that special campaign sauce. I think that getting back on the court for an extended stretch post that foot injury, which he did miss a lot of time with, and just the rhythm and conditioning of all of that is going to be an adjustment. But I also think. His minutes have fluctuated since then, and the Suns' bench has been up and down. I think a lot of the role players is where you're seeing the adjustment of Mikhail and Cam being gone, then KD being in, and now KD being out again. I do think some of these bench players and role players are the ones seeing that whiplash um, in particular. I also want to shout out uh, a block in this stretch 
by Tory Craig because it was something that Monty Williams pointed to as a really big uh, momentum shifter and, and confidence boost for them. That was at about the two-minute mark when the Magic once again extended a lead and the Suns were, uh, were getting toward a comeback. Josh Okogie, another great pass from him. He had four assists. Like I said, he factored in here as well. Some interior assists from him. One that was on an offensive rebound that he tipped back to DeAndre Ayton under the basket. And then one, uh, a whip around pass to Torrey Craig right before this block. Then Craig on the other end blocks Vancaro's driving sort of floater jumper. Also impressive for him, you know, Torrey Craig is like 6'8", and again, Bancaro is a legit 6'10", 6'11"-looking player, and Craig was able to go up and get that block. There were just a lot of hustle moments from those three guys in particular in this game, Payne, Akogi, and Craig, where, you know, turning defense into offense, keeping the pace, really pushing. This is a high-scoring game. This is a young team with a lot of talent. The Suns needed to match that, and I think those three guys, deflection, steals, I mentioned rebounds, assists, timely moments, timely buckets, timely passes, and and those kind of moments. I think the end of the very the very end of the game, as well as this back-and-forth second quarter where the Suns eventually go into the break, capped off by a Joshua Kogi. He gets fouled on a heave and gets to make all three of these free throws. The Suns end up going into the half up five because they did not allow the magic sort of pushes to turn into really anything as far as a lead. And then most of the time, and at the end of the half, the Suns extended their own lead very much as a result of those three players. All right. We'll get into my big takeaway from this game, which is just exactly what I said at the top. They needed this one. First, today's show, guys, brought to you by the Nissan Most Electric Player of the Week, brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. I'm going to give it to the guy that I just spent the time talking about, Cameron Payne. He has strung two strong performances together now, Tuesday against Milwaukee, and then Thursday tonight against the Magic. He looks like himself again. I've said for three years running that nobody on this Suns team gets that footprint center crowd going better than campaign. He is electric. He is stunning. He is elegant. He has the skill. He matches it with the intensity and the athleticism, and he just brings that crowd alive in an electric, fierce, brilliant way. The 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin you to your seat power and minimum and premium intelligence all in one EV. The all new all electric 2023 Nissan Aria is the EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at nissanusa.com. This was a get right game for the Phoenix Suns. I think it's it's without a doubt. We talked to campaign post game, he called it a must win. You know, Amani Williams talked to post game about the, he called it, you know, like an emotional week, I think was the phrasing that he used. Not that anything tragic has happened. Obviously, last week, the Duran injury, and that that kind of bled into a really tough stretch of games, a, a big one from a standings perspective against Sacramento. Then, you know, the back-to-back, -back, uh, the two past NBA champions. Yeah, that's a nightmarish back-to-back. -back. They lost both. They lost to the Kings. And then you get to this one where... 
It's a team you should beat. You know that. But it's also the last game before a road trip, which can be weird. There's a, a you know, couple days off, but then there's a mid a midday game on Sunday. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to, you know, build in these imaginary reasons, but it just would have been extra awful to keep the losing streak going against this particular team with, you know, just a momentum swing very much needed. And so they got it. They'll have the day off Friday. They will travel Saturday. Maybe they'll practice. I'm not sure. And then Sunday, 12.30 local time, they will... Uh, 12.30 local time? Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. They will uh, play the Oklahoma City Thunder. And so, get right game, absolutely. And I think how it happened was also pretty important. I think that this was the first game since Kevin Durant went down. And yes, it's a worse opponent. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, run from that or, or, you know, remove that factor because it is obviously important here. But it was the first game since Durant's injury where it started to feel like this team understood itself, like played cohesive identity basketball, right? Like they just, it was balanced scoring. Nobody even scored 20. And yet the team as a whole scored almost 120. You had a bench that scored 31 points or 41 points, sorry. And, you know, guys like Payne getting back on track, guys like Akogi making the type of all-around impact that the know that they that we know they're capable of. And I even would say the forward rotation, which I'll I'll get to in a in more detail in the next segment, just slotting into place. And, you know, J- Jock Landale is back, just playing center, the Monty Williams. The 9.5 man rotation that he was telling us uh, and being uh, public about wanting to find after the Durant trade, it seems like he has landed on what that will be, at least for now. Obviously, Durant will have to be added in, and then you see, well, who's gonna who's gonna fall off? I don't know if there's an easy answer for that right now. Probably Damian Lee. We'll see. But this was a game where everybody. Nobody played more than 36 minutes. Everybody played at least 10, and you really felt a rotation coming into place. And yeah, I you know it is a, a worse opponent. It is an inferior, inexperienced team. But I also think there's something to be said for proving to yourself and just getting back on track in terms of withstanding a push by a team that's hungry, executing in those late game situations. Those are just the types of, of games that I think you can look back and sort of lean on as seasons as the season goes along. And it, it I guess, is also, in a way, uh, to be honest, one of the ones, types of games where it might have been nice to have Kevin Durant out there, right? Of just sort of, you know, we're fouling up three. You know, who's getting the ball when we call our timeout and we need a shot? And then, obviously, Booker ended up turning it over, but... You know, what are our pet plays in those instances? What are our our usual check-in? Uh, who, who are the players that will usually check in when we want our best free throw shooters out there? What's the offense for defense sub on the other end? Who inbounds? You know, just it, it, there's going to be opportunities for those games. You know, KD will play about five more if he comes back in time. We'll see. There's, you know... He was out there getting standstill shots up at shoot around on Thursday morning. So 
you know, there, there, you, we can all sort of hold out hope that maybe he comes back sooner than uh, the 31st against Denver at home. But even if it's then, there will be some games, there will be these opportunities. I'm going to set the KD stuff aside a little bit and just say that regardless, this is one where you were pushed, but you knew you were the better team and you just had to get the job done and you did it. And meanwhile, you got the balanced production, you got a more cohesive rotation and sort of balance to who was playing and how they were playing and you come away with a victory that uh, would have really sucked to not get heading back onto the road and with uh, from a standing standpoint things getting tight the Clippers are one game back they play the magic next up the Warriors have the Hawks on Friday night so they could very easily continue to build up a cushion and, and win some games. The, the Clippers are on a four-game win streak. That probably will be five if they can just handle business against Orlando. So it just you just needed to win the game, and they did. All right. We'll close things out with a couple box score oddities, more detail on the bench in the rotation, a take that I have about one position group that is finished, that is a complete product, and I will tell you what that is. And then... That might wrap us up. We'll see. I might have something under my sleeve. We'll get to it in a second. First today's show, guys, brought to you by BetterHelp. Uh, it's never too late, and there's never a bad time to reach out, find people that will help you learn something new about yourself, will help you uh, find self-awareness and understanding, BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are and whatever your lifestyle might be. My wife and I both have checked uh, out a therapist over the past few years. Yeah, maybe driven a little bit by the craziness of, of 2020 and 2021 and all the way till now, but also just big life changes. You know, we're both in our 20s. We're both moving through life. I'm not saying that that is rep relevant to all of you, but I'm just telling you that I'm speaking from experience. If you're thinking of starting therapy, if you want to understand yourself better, become the best version of yourself, it's not just for people who've experienced trauma or who have something specific to discuss. It can just be helpful to get out of a funk, to be better, to be at your best. BetterHelp, best of all, is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10%, 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnNBA. The forward group for the Phoenix Suns, I am here to tell you, is locked in. Okay? And I hinted at it a minute ago when I said, yes, tonight's rotation was that nine and a half, you know, Damian Lee plays 10 minutes, basically nine slash 10 man rotation that Monty Williams has been trying to find. I think these are the 10 players who make the most sense. The guys who got DNPs were Baisley, Warren, and Biombo. I think it's clear to anybody who's watched this team that those are the three guys who have proven the least uh, or who, you know, demonstrated the, the, the least two-way ability within the context of this roster since the trade. Obviously, when you talk about forwards or you even talk about the rotation at all, there is a big Kevin Durant-sized hole missing in it right now, right? So I, at the beginning of this whole 
uh, almost a, to a month and a half ago at this point, the beginning of the Durant discussion, I felt like the obvious and easy thing to do would be to take the rotation that was basically already in place. I didn't really feel like Baisley or Warren were going to break into it. Ross ended up sort of being the wild card. We still have Shamit, TBD, all that stuff. Um, I thought Wainwright would be the guy to lose the minutes. That took me a while to get to. Apologies. I thought it would be Wainwright. And now I think he's proven himself. I think what he did against Giannis, I think he defended Giannis better than Torrey Craig did, personally. I think Akogi and Wainwright, when they were able to do that, you know, ate and fouled too much. Craig didn't put up as much of a hold-his-ground fight. And then Akogi and Wainwright both sort of did. For You know, they're different players, but it, it worked best when it was those two, in my opinion. And so that, plus I think Wainwright's defense with that second unit tonight, uh, offering some options. He's switchable. He wrote. He's he's a good team defender. He's you know he's been in this system for two years now, right? It's like that that I think can get lost. And so he he's in the right places most of the time. He follows the switch rules correctly. I you know you don't notice mistakes from him all that often. I'm sure there's some that I'm missing by my untrained eye, but it doesn't seem to pose a problem. And then he can make shots, you know, and I think he's building up. He turns the ball over less when he attacks the closeout, all these different things. And so he's on. They also know he's on the full contract now, whereas last year, if you remember, we almost got all the way to this point in the year, if not actually a little bit later, not even knowing if they were going to elevate Wainwright. Maybe they knew, but, you know, it's that that last week of the season last year, and all of a sudden Wainwright's playing small ball five against the Spurs and closing out a game, and we're all, you know, aghast that 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 guy was capable of that and it's like well now a they have a whole extra year with him b they know that they're going to have him as a potential part of the playoff game plan and it's going to be matchup based i understand that you know nothing is hard and fast especially in the playoffs but i think craig akogi and wainwright all need a spot in the playoff rotation in the forward rotation right and so that means Duran is taking minutes from somebody else. And, you know, you start to you start to wonder, right? Because I also think Landry Shamit is going to be a, a part of this. And so my point is here, provided that Shamit can get healthy, he's supposed there's supposed to be an update tomorrow on him. He has been warming up pregame for most of the home games that have been the past week or so, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't know about last Wednesday, the game that Durant got hurt, because I don't think I saw Shamit. Actually, no, I did. I did. So, yeah, at least a week he's been doing pregame warm-ups, and he's been practicing for a bit. And so he is, is going to be part of this. I think Durant will be obviously a huge part of this. And so I think that the guys, who, guys whose minutes might dwindle, I have changed my mind that it might actually be Lee and Ross. I think that you could see Shamit take, you know... All 16 of Ross's minutes, let's say. Let's say Lee loses all 10 of his minutes. This is just from tonight. But let's say Lee loses all of his 10 minutes, and then the other 25 or so of Durant's minutes come from Craig and Wainwright. So maybe you cut both of their minutes in half, and they're both in the 10 to 15 range. And that gets you 35 minutes for KD. Akogi keeps his 30. Shamit gets 16 from Ross. No more Lee. And then Wainwright and Craig get cut. That feels right to me right now because I think going big, especially if you can go big without sacrificing the cohesion and sort of 
identity of your team. You're not going big just for the sake of it. You're going big and you can still space the floor. You're going big and you can still move the ball the way you want to. And I think these players can. So that's where I come down. That's your bench mob vibe check for today. Uh, a few quick things on, on box score oddities. I would say that the two that jump out to me are the fact that the Magic had 17 points off of turnovers, but yet ha- to the Suns nine. So the Suns, uh, the Magic had an eight point advantage in points off of turnovers, but they actually turned the ball over themselves five more times. So somehow the Suns transition defense or whatever the case was, they had only 14 turnovers as a team, but yet the Magic scored 17 points off of that, whereas Orlando turned the ball over 19 times and the Suns were only able to, to score nine points off of that. As a, as a team, the Magic had 26 fast break points, which includes some times that they were running off of rebounds or even made shots. You know, that's just all fast break points, not just off of turnovers. 26, the Suns only had two fast break points. Very, very crazy and a big reason why the Magic were able to uh, get some of these comebacks going considering they only shot eight of 28 from three. Uh, the other quick one is just points in the paint 58. Although a lot of, you know, fast break points and points off turnovers are going to come via layup and dunk. And so that skews it a bit, but 58 points in the paint for the magic only 40 for the Suns. you know, um, guys like Fultz, Guys like Bancaro, guys like Wagner were able to get into the teeth of the defense and score uh, more than you would have expected. You know, I, I don't think Aiton was like bad tonight, but they were able to, to drive and, and do that. And then you add in the easy points and, and that's how you get to almost 60 of those. The other one uh, that that's more of a funny, it's not really super related to the box score, but um, Devin Booker getting a second technical foul for the second straight game. Um I'm looking up his technical fouls this season. If you can hear my, uh, if you can hear my keyboard, uh, now this ad block is it, it, it is just not going well, folks. That's the other box score oddity, though, is these back-to-back games where Booker is being demonstrative and and frustrated by the calls and all that stuff, and basically just sort of deciding. So. He had seven, I, I believe, going into this game. If this random teamrankings.com is to be believed, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a little outdated. So either as eight or nine on the season, he's not going to get to 16. But this one was quick. This was in the first or second quarter for Booker tonight. And usually he'll wait a while and let the refs uh, bother him to a certain higher level before he really makes a fuss out of it. Tonight, he just was tired of it from the jump, made a, a, a you know a decision. He also had a demonstrative, um, another sort of demonstrative charge, intentional charge type of thing like he did against the Bucks, where he's just like, hey, here's what contact looks like if you want to see it, you know, just sort of getting the ref's attention. And I don't know if that'll continue, but I guarantee you that that Milwaukee game is going to stay in their heads. Not a, not like it's in their heads, like we say when people are, you know, seeing ghosts or, you know, not playing up to their standard because they're overthinking it. I don't mean that, but they were mad. I think that the Bucks game was a reminder of the final series, a reminder of these games where they don't get the calls that they want. You know, the Mavs game a couple weeks ago was another one with Luka. You know, like, and I don't want to, like, overdo it because I know we talked about it. This is the third day in a row we've talked about this, but Giannis only got 10 free throw attempts against the Pacers on 
Thursday night here. Uh, they lost that game. It was a weird one. Indiana just out-executed them late. Indiana also got really hot from three and whatever. Different game context. Nothing's the same. Uh, you know, games aren't the same just because it's the same team. But I think Giannis only getting 10, it's like it, you can look at that and just continue to feel insulted, disrespected, whatever the case may be, by the officials. And so this was another game where the the magic, especially in the first half, were sending a ton of bodies at Booker. Jalen Suggs was in his face. He was pushing and shoving with Suggs from the jump. And then he has that technical as well as the charge and whatever. And you can just tell it's Book sort of continuing to try to feel out and push back on the refs. And that's going to matter in the playoffs like it always does. And so it's just something, even if it's boring to talk about, I still have my poster down for you guys on YouTube uh, with the Giannis thing. So until that is back up, I'm going to, I guess, have to keep talking about it. And I think it's relevant. Even if it is a little bit silly, it has become a little bit of a narrative and the rivalry and history between these teams only amplifies it. But the bottom line of Booker getting calls or not is going to matter. And I think tonight, even against a bad team, you did see it come into play. All right, that'll wrap us up. Happy Friday. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Hit follow or subscribe. If you like what you're hearing, thanks for making Locked On Suns your first listen to end your week. In the meantime, before Monday, when we talk next, go make Locked On NBA your second listen. Get caught up on everything going on around the league. I saw they had an MVP discussion. Is Embiid now the front runner? Get caught up on all of that on all podcast platforms. And I'll catch you guys next week.